Hi, I'm Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is Black America and COVID, an oral history project. I started this project during Black History Month of 2022 because I wanted to provide a platform for Black Americans to share their stories about living, working, and or going to school during the COVID-19 pandemic. I also wanted to provide a space for people to memorialize someone who is a Black American who sadly lost their life during the COVID-19 pandemic. I was inspired by the work of Zora Neale Hurston, author and anthropologist, to record the experiences of Black Americans in their own voices. My goal is to get my recordings into museums such as the Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture, or the Schomburg, or the Library of Congress's Folklife Museum. I'll share a little bit about me and my family history, and then I'll speak to my guests. I'm a Black American. My dad was African American and Indigenous American. His ancestors were enslaved in Georgia. In fact, we still have our family's slave name, which is Killebrew. My dad, Dr. Terrence Killebrew, met my mom in graduate school at the New School in New York when they were both earning their master's degrees in psychology. And I'm a fourth generation teacher. So my mother is a retired New York City teacher. My grandmother was a teacher on the island of Jamaica for 20 years and then in New York for 20 years. My great-grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica up until she got married. She was the daughter of an Irish woman and a black man. She stopped working after she got married because it wasn't considered respectable for a married woman to continue working in the late 1800s. And ironically, my mother began teaching long after she got married in the late 1900s. So, Without further ado, I'm excited to speak with my guest today. So my name is, I go, Lovey Roundtree is my given name. I live in Exeter, New Hampshire. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, moved to Queens before going off to boarding school, college, et cetera, et cetera. So. Well, that's right. And I, I'll just say how we know each other now, mm -hmm. which is through part nine. Yeah. And which boarding school did you go to? So I went to the illustrious Choate Rosemary Hall in Wallingford, Connecticut. You know, <laughs> you might have heard of it. <laughs> I love that. Oh. I won't and, start singing the school song. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> and how do you identify as Black or African American or Caribbean American? Good question. So I identify myself as Black. My mother is was born in Haiti, um, moved here when she was 14. My father is what us Caribbeans would consider American black. So he was born and raised in Virginia and can track his lineage all the way to his great, great grandfather who was enslaved. So, you know, from my father's point of view, we can see a lot of, of, of our history and my mother's side of the family very much deep runs in, in the, the hills and mountains of Haiti. So, but if, 
if in this place in America, I consider myself black because that's all encompassing, I think in my point of view. Absolutely. I find that we all have a lot of similarity. Like my mom is Caribbean American and my dad was African American and indigenous American. Mm -hmm. I was gonna ask you, is Roundtree, is that a slave name or a new so, name? So Roundtree is actually a native American name. But, you know, it was it was a Native American name. But in terms of my knowledge of that part of our history, I don't know it too well. Um, so being able to track sort of the, the origin of that, I'm not as familiar with. And we even did the, the DNA testing thing, which now I have pseudo regrets about in terms of like, oh, great, you know. Let's hope no one in my family commits any. Right. <laughs> Isn't that horrible where you're like, oh, I probably should not have input my DNA into the system. It's like some <laughs> horrible law and order episode come to life. Um, but yes, so it, when looking at our lineage, you could see the European, the, the African-American, the, you know, teeny, teeny, tiny, tiny Native American. So it was not as big of a percentage as we had thought it was going to be but okay and now I'm really excited to hear what your life was like living <clears throat> during the pandemic so if you want to start from 2020 and then talk about through 2021 so I will lead with this as the opening statement I am a black woman raising two black children living in the state of New Hampshire period yes so Living during the pandemic in a place where being black was difficult enough. And then at the same time as the pandemic having a major shift and by shift, I mean focus on Black Lives Matter created a world where there was a lot of, oh my goodness, how in the world, I can't believe statements coming from me listening to the people that I had considered either friends or, you know, acquaintances and how little they understood what it was like, A, to be black, what it was like to be perhaps, you know, not privileged, <laughs> what it meant to be working paycheck to paycheck, you know, all of these things that I don't think a lot of people considered during um, prior to the pandemic came to light. I also sit on our town select board and I was elected, I want to say um, two weeks before the world shut down. So I was elected into office. The pandemic blew up. We had our first meeting and did not allow people to come into our meeting. This was like right before masks, right? So we were in a room, but we were all six feet apart and there was like sanitizer everywhere. And I remember the first meeting saying, my biggest worry is for the people who don't have the financial means to go out and buy and stockpile, you know, 500 rolls of toilet paper and paper towels and, frozen meat and all of these other things. And I made a request that we as the select board ask that supermarkets and other local places, cause you know, it's Exeter, New Hampshire. It's not a huge town that those restaurants and, and 
supermarkets could do their best to limit people on what they were purchasing to allow for others to have access to things. And I was immediately told, no, we don't do that. We would never want to restrict people who want to go out and do what they want to do. Mm. And I immediately knew, oh, I'm not in the right place. These people have no idea what it means to take care of each other. Mm. And I am really concerned. So yeah, that's, that's how the pandemic sort of went for me the first year and a half. It was a lot of me saying, hey, have you considered, and a lot of, we don't do that here. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, this was not the, this was not the kumbaya, let's take care of our brothers and sisters. It was bunker down, hoard as much as you can. Also said by, and I can say this now because I have less than a year left on the select board, by the police, by the uh, fire chief. He said, if people want to stockpile, you let them. Well, you're public servants, right? So you're they there did. to help the they public? I, yeah, that's what I thought. That's <laughs> <Okay. laughs> what I thought. I, I clearly misread it. Clearly misread what by the people and for the people <laughs> and the people <laughs> meant. It was, you know, live free or die. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. the state motto. That's the state motto. And heaven forbid we don't live by that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Lots of wow. So at that point, were you working from home or working in person? So I was working part-time for the academy as a, as a coach. So I worked with students, which has been a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. Um, and I did that remotely, which, and I was also a physical uh, fitness instructor. So I used to teach classes out of my home and then I had to either teach them outdoors, which meant rolling, you know, all the weights and like an erg machine out into, the, you know, and doing live classes, which the novelty of was great in the beginning, like with Zoom and everyone's like, oh my God, I hear all these people I haven't seen in so long. Yeah. And the novelty wore off and definitely had an effect on social interactions, on becoming somewhat, you know, closed in because you felt so exposed. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of that uh, where it's like, okay, maybe this is too much of me out there. Because when you're teaching and when you're talking to large groups of people, when you're doing it live, you feel the feedback, you feel the responses you feel the vibe of the room when you're doing it on zoom and everyone is muted or off camera you are talking into an abyss and you're like talking to yourself in a way that feels rather uncomfortable and mm -hmm. lonely you know it's like you're lonely in a room full of 100 people but you're like how is this possible I'm glad you described it that way because that's exactly <laughs> how it feels when people have their screens off or when they're muted it's like you're, right you're talking into an abyss yeah. And so it was a lot of me trying to, and it's bad enough that teenagers in this day and age with cell phones and, you know, having a hard enough time with eye contact in person, mm -hmm. having to teach young people how to communicate via a computer screen where I literally had to say, you are all required to come off mute. 
I don't mm-hmm. care if you have dogs barking in the background. I don't care if your mom is like yelling. I don't care. You have to come off mute. You have to be present. You have to, at some point, speak, <laughs> even if it's to say, I'm not interested in speaking, but there has to be that. Um, part of the other piece of it is that my kids were home. So I had two boys at the time they were, geez, nine and 11. Um, and my fourth grader, gosh, it's like, it's four, he was in fourth grade. Mm. He was home with my fifth grader and they were both miserable. Then the following year, which is insane to actually think about that multiple years have passed. I decided to keep my um, fifth graders school was still remote. So I had him and four of his peers here and they were in two different classes and they were home with me and we did class from here and we turned one of the rooms into their classroom. And so we had five boys every day. (laughs) I love that. Can you describe 24 hours from waking up, getting breakfast, so it was, it was like school. So it was like school and they were all on their own. They had their own computers and they had their own stations. Um, and we had a tutor who came in twice a week to help guide them when I was also busy. So they had their headphones and they were doing like what we're doing in the room. There were books and the calendar and the daily chore list and the you know, I even did the word of the day because I had been a teacher in a past life. And so they had a puzzle to solve to start the day. When they had lunch and recess, we did it outdoors and they could go out and build out, you know, in the winter, they went and built snowmen on Fridays. We had pizza and and a movie indoors and that was their special treat. So we really tried to make it that these boys didn't feel like they were losing out on the socializing and the because that age is such a hard age to be removed from kids your age. Mm-hmm. And I saw what happened when the previous year from March until summer, I said, we, we can't do that. We can't do another year of that. So to have them here maybe wasn't the greatest for me mentally, <laughs> you know, like you, you, you become overwhelmed by the sounds of young children screaming and running and throwing things all day which is probably why I left teaching and and when it's in your I was not bred to be a homeschool mom like that was that was not it for me but I knew what they needed was more important at the time and so in the end it turned out great that they had each other they were able to replicate a school setting were they as academically challenged as they would have been otherwise? No, but mentally and socially, they were in a very good place come the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were able then to go right back to school. And like a lot of kids, when they went back to school full time, there was a lot of nervousness. Oh, yeah. A lot of fear of like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm so behind. Can I just stay home? It's so much easier to you know roll out of bed and have mom there and ask for snacks all day. Like you got, you know, your catered lunch and, you know, so it was transitioning back into the real world for, for my son was, was a little tricky, but you almost forget that they were there at that time. I think some of the adults are still catching up, but that's a different story. Yeah, no, we are. (laughs) 
<laughs> when did they did they go back to school in 2022 or 20 so the start of this fall they were both back in school in person full-time and were they wearing and, masks yeah so they were wearing masks from the start of school um and their school because they're at a private school now they were at a public school prior and they're at a private school now their school had testing in the beginning they had you know required masks they really pushed for vaccinations when those came out so they were able to do a lot of the things that made the transition easier for for a lot of people mm-hmm. you know not so easy in the public school setting that turned into a it was it, the last year and a half in the public schools up here have been rough really as i was mentioning before with black lives matter um, at the same time that the pandemic was taking place, there was a push for education and, you know, bringing on staff members who understood the importance of equity and inclusion and inviting people who talk about race into a predominantly white school system. Yeah. Wow. There were record numbers for voter turnout based on who was sitting on the school board. And if you had looked at years past, there wasn't even a contest for people running for these positions. And they were all based on pushing the agenda of DEIJ versus not, critical race theory versus not, you know, so that mixed in with, you're forcing our kids to get vaccinated, I will never push my child to wear a mask in school. (laughs) During a pandemic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a lot. There was still a lot. Still a lot of people who fight the thought of wearing masks. The select board put, you know, voted for masks in town. And the letters that we received and the, the, you know, it was just over the top. Does your town have a mayor or does the select board? We are. So the select board is the- Is the mayor you know, of the town. Oh, right. okay. Okay. So we, we are the ones who make the decisions about budget, about, you know, whether or not something's going to get built or not built, um, you know, road work, trash bags, the real, you know, it runs the gamut of, of, of all of it. So you decided that restaurants should, people should wear masks in restaurants and supermarkets? So we had an indoor mask mandate and our state, the state of New Hampshire did not have a mask mandate or any sort of recommendation. So a lot, you know, like in New York, the whole city, the whole state pushed for, this is what we are doing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was backed by the governor, backed by the mayor, backed by and New Hampshire said, good luck, you're on your own. Each town had to decide what they wanted to do on their own. Okay. So. Oh, wow. So those are yeah. some really like heavy decisions to make and it sounds like you got a lot of pushback. Yeah, yeah, there was, there was, you know, people being at home with not much to do and a lot of emotions and anger oh. can bring out sort of, um, not the best in in folks. Yeah. Wow. So would you say now in 2022 everything's back to normal or no? Like normal. I would not say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um 
I think things are more transparent. I think now you know what people feel and think more than you did before. Mm. Like there were people who I would have never considered in the in the party of, you know, anti-mask wearing or or the people who would respond with, why does everything have to be about race? And it's like, I don't know, because there's a black man dead again and It's becoming a bit of a pattern. <laughs> I don't right. know. Tell me why it's not. And so, so there's still a lot of that where I'm like, oh, curious. Were was... there any Black Lives Matter protests? Yes. So there were in Portsmouth, which is a major city near us, Manchester. There were, and they got feedback. There was actually an Exeter. We had um, rallies in the downtown area. You know, so they they existed and there were definitely people who opposed them. You know, I almost forgot, like Trump was in office. You know, you know, you sort of forget that there are parts of our recent history and you're like, oh, right. Why were there people with big trucks and flags? Trump. So there was that whole piece of (laughs) folks in lots of pickup trucks with big American flags with motorcycles driving through town don't tread on me i mean all of that oh yeah you forget how lucky living in a melanated city can feel (laughs) versus here (laughs) yeah oh yeah exeter new hampshire is that where the exeter boarding school is Mm -hmm. yeah Oh, and I was curious, since you're, you're isolated, but did you lose anyone to COVID-19? So not anyone who's immediate to our, our like not a grandparent or parent. Um, my cousin's father did die from COVID earlier on in the, during the pandemic. Um, and he lived out in Jersey. So he was in, you know, like an oh. area where there was a lot of a lot of people dying at the time um and he was older yeah so was there a funeral i know there was a funeral very limited people could go um i think it was something like 20 people were allowed at the time mm-hmm. to go so and even at that time we weren't traveling much of anywhere so that didn't happen um i remember my cousin flying out from Colorado to go to to you know see his to go to his father's funeral um, in in Jersey, but other than that, no one else from the family was able to go. Mm-hmm. And at that point, were they streaming funerals online? Or was that too early? No, not not his. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I know that people were like I've been to one online wedding. Oh. <laughs> Well, and by online, I mean, it was, they forgot. And then my cousin got on her phone. She's like, oh, Brunel's getting married. And I was like, oh, when, send us the link. When is it? She's like, right now, like, right now, <laughs> you know? So then it was like a flock of us cousins from all around the country, like some still in pajamas, like some, and you know, I was like, I'm not quite dressed for this. So I'm going to keep my camera off, but I'm cheersing you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and they had it out at like Prospect Park or something in Brooklyn. Oh, that's lovely. An online wedding. I know, right? Who would have thought? Certainly cheaper. (laughs) Certainly an affordable way, especially if people still send you gifts. Um, (laughs) To get married. (laughs) You know? Order yourself a gold belly uh, food box and enjoy the same food at the same time. Oh, uh, is there anything else that you want to share about the pandemic? I'm I'm happy that we're what I'm assuming is over the biggest hump of it. Um, mm-hmm. My hope is that people have learned something from it and walked away better than they were before, but. We'll see what happens if there's another surge or if there's another comeback in a few years time. Certainly, I don't want to repeat what we had to go through the first six to 12 months of that. That was not cool. (laughs) Isolation. In the beginning, I loved it. And after about four months, I was like, oh, I need my friends. Yeah. but I need them in person I need like that you know because there's it the novelty wears off real fast you know right yeah those prep parties that we had initially really fun and cool and you know getting together with people you hadn't seen you're like wow we've never done this before and then all of a sudden I hit the point where I was like I never want to do this again (laughs) yeah I was like people FaceTime me without you know warning I'm like don't do that I don't want no 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 (laughs) like no no only my nephew will randomly facetime me and he's a teenager and that i will only allow him everybody else i'm like decline no seriously my sister is the only one who will allow to facetime me because it's usually because she's at trader joe's and asking what i want (laughs) other than that i'm like no i'm gonna have to reject that and i'm gonna tell you call me (laughs) on a you know phone landline kind of thing but we're not, <laughs> it's not my calendar that we're supposed to be doing this. Nah. Oh, uh, I'm excited to see the final project and see all of the interviews and uh, hear everyone's perspective. Me too. And I look forward to having an event with everyone who I've interviewed and ideally you can all bring your families and hopefully it'll be either New York or DC and we can just talk in like real life. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Right. that'll be cool well i'm excited and i'll be there when when that happens yeah thanks (laughs) lovely for your time well have a good day today you too you too and you look wonderful as always you do too girl you're like my inspiration to work out so thank you (laughs) you look amazing (laughs) i am crazy that's a whole different story but anyway (laughs) take care yourself Bye. bye Thank you for listening to my conversation for my oral history project, Black America and COVID. If you identify as Black American and you would like to share your story about living, working, and or going to school during the COVID-19 pandemic, then email me at soniakillabrew at gmail.com. The email is in the show notes of the podcast. Or you can message me on Instagram through the account Black America in COVID.
And if you are a non-black American and you would like to memorialize the life of someone who sadly passed away, who was a black American, then also email me or message me on Instagram. Thank you for listening. My name is Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is Black America in COVID, an oral history project.